Welcome to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. Every podcast that comes out from Build a Bigger Life will be impactful and can change your life if and will you take action on on uh, what you're hearing. You're about to hear how someone chose life over lifestyle. Someone doing more of what they love and less of what they don't. Someone creating a life of fulfillment and purpose. No more BS or excuses. I'm going to have the life that I want to have. I love the people that have come into my life this year just out of the sheer intention of being open. Or you're just getting to know Adam. Just know this is what he bleeds. This is what he lives. His kids can preach this message. You're in the right place if you want to build a bigger life. Here's your host, Adam Carroll. Drew McClellan is our guest today on the Build a Bigger Life podcast. Drew McClellan, for those not in the know, is the top dog at McClellan Marketing Group, a marketing and advertising agency based in Des Moines, Iowa. He is the managing director and owner of the Agency Management Institute, uh, which is an institute, as it suggests, for agency managers. He is a real estate investor. He's a certified Disney expert. I threw that one in just for you, Drew. And, Thank you very much. And most of all, and probably at the top of his list, Drew, is a dad. Welcome to the podcast, Drew. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So part of the reason I wanted you to, um, uh, to be on, Drew, is I find you to be an incredibly uh, devoted father. You're a great businessman. You're uh, kind of a man about town. You're an author. You're very prolific in the sense that your articles are all over the country, not only on the blog, but in newspapers. Um, but for starters, I'm curious, what do you love about your life right now, Drew? You know, it's interesting because, uh, as you know, my life has gotten in some ways more complicated. I've added uh, more business ventures. I've added the real estate investing. Um, but, but and, and as odd as it sounds, what I love about my life is that I finally, at 52, sort of have my act together. I am more organized than I've ever been. I have a better, clearer vision of where I want to go, both personally and professionally. And I finally have, I finally have sort of adopted the no more BS or excuses. I'm going to have the life that I want to have. And although I'm not there in all arenas yet, I am making steady and regular progress to all aspects of that. And that feels really good. Very cool. What was it that changed for you in, and maybe when did it change for you in going after this life that you've always wanted? I suspect it's been an evolution over time. Um, part of it was just a mental shift of not being willing to accept anything that wasn't sort of at the peak of what I wanted. Um, part of it was many years ago, many probably six or seven years ago. Gosh, has it been that many? Anyway, I went through an exercise where I really, for the first time, as odd as it sounds, really got very, very clear about what I wanted my life to look like and, and what was important. And for the first time, really understood that I could leverage my personal life to make my professional life better and vice versa, that both of them could serve each other. I had always um, sort of treated them as separate entities. 
And really, I wasn't taking full advantage of the leverage that either side gave me. And once I put all of that together and had a really clear path of what I wanted to go, it was remarkable to me how things started to, you know, air quotes, sort of fall into place. And I was on, I was on my way. So six or seven years ago is when that started to, to trigger for you. Um, you were the sole owner of your company at that time. Is that right? Yeah. So my agency has been around, it uh, will be 20 years in 2015. Um, and for the last 14 or so, uh, I've been the sole owner. I had a partner that I bought out early on, but, um, yeah. So, and, and then as you know, um, about four or five years ago, I added the uh, Agency Management Institute into the mix and then also the real estate purchasing. And so really I've got three different businesses rocking and rolling. Um, and even amongst them, now that I step back and I look at it much more holistically than I used to, I used to really think of everything in my life in kind of a silo. Um, but now that I sort of look at it in the big picture, I can see ways I can leverage one opportunity against a challenge I'm having in another business or something else. And it, it just feels very good for all of me to be moving in the right direction. Very cool. Um, well, I know we've, we've talked about this at, at length, um, that being a dad is one of the most important jobs you'll ever have and, and one of the ones you love. Um, you have organized your business and your affairs so that being a dad is possible for you when some people would say it, you know, it's, it's not possible or likely that you could do that. Um, talk about that a little bit, how you, you know, cut out from, from the office and went home and worked when Kelsey was getting home from school and all that, how, just how you've organized your life around your daughter and, and being a dad. Sure. Um, I waited, uh, quite a while to become a father and it, so it was, by the time she arrived, it was really important to me. And I was very committed to being a very active, hands-on dad. Um, she and her mom, or her mom and I divorced uh, early on. She was probably two. Um, and so that also gave me some opportunities as a single parent to um, really parent differently. But and, and I got remarried in that course, and, and that didn't work. But the bottom line is, and here's why it worked for me, there was no hesitation. You know how sometimes you set a goal and you go, I'd really like to get to the gym three times a week, or I'd really, I'm hoping I can do this. That wasn't the way I approached being a dad. It was, I'm going to drop my daughter off to school every day. And this started at preschool, so she was probably three or four uh, and went all the way through college, or high school. I'm going to drop her off every day and I'm going to pick her up after school every day. And every single day I left the office between 2.30 and 3 so that I was in the queue of parents to pick my daughter up. And then we would go home and we would do the snack and the homework and, you know, kind of depending on where she was in her life cycle um, and kind of hang out and do dinner. And then I would as she got into homework in the evening or, you know, was out with friends as she got older or went to bed, then I started what I called the second shift. And I made it really clear to clients, to my coworkers, that that was non-negotiable, that I, if you scheduled me in a meeting at four o'clock, I'm sorry, but even if it's a $4 million prospect for the agency, I'm not going to be there. 
And so I was so matter-of-fact about it that no one ever questioned the decision. No one ever put up a roadblock. It just was the way my life was. And so I literally scheduled my life around her life and my work around her life so that I could be an active part of her life. And I think what's coolest about that is seeing the relationship that you and your daughter have now. Who She's, she's in college, about to finish her bachelor's degree, and still a very, very tight, I mean, uh, enviable by anyone's standards, Drew. So there's, there's something remarkable about what you did and the result of that, which is very impressive. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think when you invest in something for the long run, whether it's a relationship or it's, uh, you know, a business or whatever it may be, the, the fruit of that labor sooner or later shows up. And, you know, I had a lot of friends who really struggled with their kids during their teenage years and couldn't figure out how they had drifted so far apart. But the reality is they hadn't made the investment when the kids were younger. And so, you know, trying to be buddies and a parent to a 13-year-old that you have no connection with, that's a tough task. But when you have been sort of at their side, you know, and, and I'm a firm believer that parenting is about both quality and quantity. So, you know, I I I don't disagree with the boy it's important to have quality time with your kids but I also would argue that a lot of magical things happen in ordinary random moments when you're driving to the grocery store together and they bring up a topic because they can't quite make eye contact with you because you're sitting next to each other in the car or you know other sort of ordinary days when you're just there at the right time and for me a lot of it was being around right after school because you know a lot of stuff happens at school and your kids are busting a gut to tell somebody about it but by the time dinner has come They've already told somebody about it or they've forgotten about it or they're on, their brain is onto something else and you've missed the opportunity to participate in their day. So um, you're right. I, I, we have a great relationship. She's awesome. Um, she's growing up into this really fantastic young woman that I'm really proud of. And, and one of the things I'm most proud of is that we still really enjoy each other's company and we like to hang out together. So, so this this is the honesty part, Drew, and I'm I'm going to call you on this if you're not honest about it. Do you love Josh Groban as much as she does? <laughs> I, I, I have come to greatly appreciate Josh, but I'm pretty sure that my fondness for him pales in comparison to hers. Oh. Yeah, we've seen him. You know, that's one of the things that again, where my professional life has served my personal life because I travel so much for work. Um, I have the opportunity to rack up a ton of frequent flyer miles and a lot of hotel points. Uh, and, and just to make a point, I, didn't, I did not allow my business to let me travel until she left for college. I purposefully structured my business so I didn't travel until she took off for college. But once she did, uh, I really hit the road and, and have changed my business, the face of my business because of it. But one of the great things about that is um, you know, as as you just suggested, you know, she's really a huge Josh Groban fan and all of those miles and all the, of those hotel points allow us to make, you know, two or three trips a year wherever he might be in concert. We've literally seen him from coast to coast, from L.A. to Virginia and pretty much everywhere in between. Um, and, you know, that's just one of those things that we get to do and we get to share. And um, it's it's a blast. So if you would share the story about K 
Kelsey uh, giving the T-shirt to Josh because I, it, it's not – I mean, the whole idea of you going and seeing Josh is half of it. But you've also gone to the extent of really getting backstage access and, and you know, getting her face-to-face with him. Will you tell that story? Yeah. So he – actually, this happened in Des Moines. He was coming to Des Moines and – Kelsey had read a story, an interview with him, where he was saying that the band Slipknot um, had all, as a joke, worn Josh Groban t-shirts on stage one day because, you know, no one's music could be more diverse than Slipknot and Josh Groban. Um, And so he had made the comment that one day he was going to wear a Slipknot t-shirt on stage to kind of get them back. Well, Slipknot uh, is based here in Des Moines, for people who don't know that. So anyway, so Kelsey read the story, and I had bought, not ordinary tickets, but I had bought, like, front row tickets with a package that allowed us to go backstage and meet him. And so she decided that she was going to... um, buy him a Slipknot t-shirt and give it to him as a gift during the meet and greet before the concert. So we went and we stood in line and we waited. And so she had her picture taken with him and everything. And then she gave him the Slipknot t-shirt. And of course he realized right away why he had, she had given that to him. So they had a little interaction about that. So, so we go um, into the concert hall and it ended up that one of her friends wanted to go to the concert, so the two of them were in our front row seats, and I was about three row, three five rows back. And so the Josh concert goes on, and he leaves the stage, and he comes back to do his encore, and he's wearing the Slipknot t-shirt that she gave him. And she, of course, and her friend go ballistic, and you know he points to her in the front row, and so I have pictures of not only him in the shirt. But then um, her face, you know, turning around to look at me to say, oh, my God, he's wearing the shirt. So that was awesome. But then, of course, you have to wait by the bus afterwards to say hello because, you know, you have to have the whole Josh experience. So we're, we're waiting and he walks off. He, he walks out of the building to get on his bus. And so he's kind of walking along the, the barricade of people shaking hands and whatever. And when he gets to her... He said he points to her and he goes Slipknot T-shirt and she goes yeah and he go, and he goes he goes it was awesome thanks so much he goes but it was big it was like a dress because I he's much smaller than I thought he was I'd never seen him up close enough in person he's probably like a size medium and I think we got him an extra large so the joke that she and I have now is that you know she'll that is my fault that she bought him a Slipknot dress instead of a T-shirt <laughs> but but it's a it's a great memory and. Um, you know, she has that. She has a five by seven of him in the Slipknot shirt in her room, just a reminder. But it was it was a fun, fun night. That's for sure. That is very cool. Very cool. Um, in in the uh, grand scheme of organizing your affairs around things you love, Drew, talk a little bit about your uh, fondness for Disney and and how often you get to go and how you've arranged that. Yeah, well, uh, I have been to Walt Disney World at least every, at least once a year since it opened in 1971. My parents started us on an annual vacation there when it opened, and I just have continued the tradition. And now, you know, Kelsey and I – the first time Kelsey was there, she was six months old. She's been there at least once a year uh, for every year. She's been alive. Uh, and what's really cool about it is my dad, who lives in Sarasota, now comes up and joins us. So it's a three-generational 
a McClellan outing to Disney World. So for me, that's always been like my personal thing. I love to do it. Uh, even though I write about it a lot from a marketing perspective, it was really sort of a personal passion of mine. And it never occurred to me to what I was saying earlier that I could really think about how my business could make that even more a part of my life. And part of the Agency Management Institute is we put on a lot of workshops for agency owners and uh, their account service staff. So I'm traveling all over the country putting on these workshops. And for some reason, and I don't know why, I guess I assumed it would be really expensive. It never occurred to me to try and hold one of the workshops on Disney property. And I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, I don't understand why you don't do some of these on Disney property, especially in the winter. I would think a lot of people would want to go to a workshop in Florida in you know January and February. So long story short, I reached out to the Disney convention folks and the meeting folks and found that it's no more expensive to have a meeting there than anywhere else. So for the last several years, um, I've held workshops on Disney property. So for example, um, I leave on January 12th and I – and I'm going to be staying on Disney property uh, at the Grand Floridian Hotel nonetheless, um, so that really their premium property. I'm going to be there until I think the 28th of January. I've got two workshops scheduled, and you know, there's a long weekend, Martin Luther King weekend in between, so it doesn't make sense to come home you know, when you can play at the parks for a few days. So literally, I'm doing two workshops which pay – for my two and a half week Disney adventure, I get to stay in their best hotel, their premium hotel. Um, I get all kinds of perks because I'm staying there um, and we're holding events there. And it just never occurred to me that that was possible. So even more fun is um, a couple years ago, I started flying my staff down, my agency staff down and we hang out for a weekend so it's sort of a team building thing that we do we did disneyland two years ago and we're doing we did disney world last year and over martin luther king weekend um we'll do it again we'll go to disney world again so uh, it's an opportunity for us to really bond as a team and to play and have a good time and we're surrounded by some of the best examples of marketing and branding that there are on the globe so it's educational and they're great Disney playmates. So it really works out for me very holistically that uh, I get to do that. So this, this, what you're saying, is a professional education trip. It's a research trip. Is that right? For, the st- for my for MMG staff? Yes. Yes, <laughs> we can call it that. That's absolutely what it is. Um, so we're doing marketing and branding research while – we go from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds on rock and roller coaster. I so. think that sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah. It's just a great way that you really can when you think about and And here's the difference. So when you ask me about my experience with Kelsey and my, and my schedule and all of that, there, that was just an absolute for me. There was no question about it. I didn't really care what it cost. I was going to do that. And for some reason, on some of these other things, like could I could Disney be a bigger part of my life thanks to my professional life? I never asked that question, and I never and and then I made some assumptions that were really limiting. And it wasn't until I sort of realized 
that A, I hadn't asked the right questions, and B, that I was setting up barriers that didn't exist. I was making them up by assuming things that turned out to be absolutely not true. I was depriving myself of that. Um, and I still get to deliver a superior product in the workshops. And who wouldn't want to go to a workshop on Disney property and, you know, in January in Florida of all places? So, you know, I was not only hurting myself personally by depriving myself of something that I could have, but I was really limiting my business as well by not asking good questions. And, you know, I think that's one of the things why I really enjoy being part of a mastermind group and other things that I surrounding myself with other people who ask me questions that I should be asking myself, but for some reason I have blinders on about a particular issue or topic is so valuable to me. Yeah. And in the nature of full disclosure, Drew and uh, a future interviewee uh, of mine on the podcast, a man named Mitch Matthews, the three of us have been in a mastermind group for quite some time and it's been unbelievably beneficial, I think, for all of us. Um, but to your, to your point, Drew, I think the questions that you're asking yourself, uh, the answers will come to you no matter what. So it's more dependent on the question you're asking as opposed to what you, you know or believe to be true. In your case, it was, oh, how could I, uh, you know, there's no way possible that we could make a Disney trip happen every year or every six months or every three months for that matter. Until you ask the question, well, how might I do it? And then the answer uh, begins to surface, which I, I think would be true for most people. So, Well, and, and, and the trip in this case, it's, it really is how might I spend two weeks, you know, and in Iowa in January is not lovely. So how might I spend two weeks in the happiest place on the planet at no personal cost to me because it's a legitimate business venture? That's a beautiful thing. That is beautiful. So, so I, think it, I think it's about being really clear about what you want and then instead of figuring out why you can't do it, just deciding to do it and then figuring out how to get it done. Hmm. I just had an interview with um, Scott Ginsburg, uh, who is a huge fan of yours, Drew. Uh, yeah, he, and vice versa. He's awesome. He's, he is equally prolific. Um, you know, a writer, a creator. He's, he told me he's an expresser where I am a connector and there's a big difference apparently. So he said, you know, the, the world needs both of us so that he can express and I can help connect. And I would say you're, you're probably, you might be equal expresser and connector. Um, but anyway, uh, Scott in the interview was saying that what it takes when I asked him what it takes to be as successful as he's been in writing and to, to really organize his life the way he wants, not the way he has to. He said, you have to be profoundly, absurdly committed. And it, and when you were talking about Kelsey and how you parented her in her formative years, dropping her off at school, picking her up, I would say you were profoundly, absurdly committed to being with her. Yeah, you're right. Because on the surface, I think most people would say, that's a lovely thought, but that's not possible, especially when you own your own business and all of, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it was not, it not being possible was simply not an option for me. So I didn't really care how absurd it sounded. I didn't care how ridiculous or how absolutely committed I had to be. It was a done deal. And I am trying to bring more of that 
you know, absolute no no chance of this not working, no chance of this not happening, thinking to other aspects of my life. And it really does move you along the path much faster than you think you can move. Absolutely. One of the things I want to talk about you've been absurdly, profoundly committed to is writing. And Drew's Marketing Minute is um, is your blog your uh, blog site? It's listed as a top 150 blog. It's on several top 100 lists when it comes to marketing. Talk about how you how you do that. What, how do you find the creative juices after doing all you do every day to then write articles and blog posts and whatnot? Well. Um Way back in the 90s, we decided as an agency that one of the self-promotional things we were going to do is we were going to put out a little marketing tip every week. And so that started back, I don't know, 98, 99. Uh, And then I was invited because of those tips, which it was so long ago, we used to distribute them by fax. And we had a list of thousands of people, so we'd start the fax at like 3 o'clock on uh, you know as, as in the afternoon and we'd get to work the next day and this fax machine would still be cranking out this i mean that's how long ago it was so i got into the groove really early on of having to have something of value to say because we didn't want it to be about us we really wanted it to be a useful marketing tip so i need i got in the groove of having to have something useful to share every week so what it did was it taught me to be very observant and it taught me to realize that there are marketing lessons everywhere. You know, I'll go out to a restaurant with friends or with Kelsey and something will happen with the waiter and they'll look at me and they'll go, you're going to write about this, aren't you? <laughs> and, and, and that's the truth, that there is, there is insight everywhere if you look for it. And so that, that fax tip a week turned into an inter- invitation by the by Central Iowa's business journal the business record to write a weekly column for them and ironically uh I celebrate my 10 year anniversary of doing that with them in January of this year so for the last 10 years I've been on deadline to put together a column for this newspaper well so I had been doing that for a while and then we decided boy we better get into blogging back in the mid 2005 2006 range so I Again, those skills are transferable. I started to do the same thing. So it kind of layered on. And now when I think about how much content I produce, because I, I don't cross-pollinate the content. So if I write about it in the column, I don't then turn around and write about the same thing in the blog. Um, because if people read both, then they go, uh, Drew, I've already heard this story. Thank you very much. So I want fresh content everywhere. Um, so it is – I. I have turned out to be prolific, and as you know, I've I've written a couple books and I've edited a couple crowdsourced books, um, but it kind of came on gradually, and I just sort of got into the groove. and And right now, the way I sort of keep track of it all, and the way I make sure it gets done, is I I am a very Type A, and I'm a list guy, and nothing makes me feel better than having a list and being able to cross things off. And I will admit to you, and only you, and that sometimes I write stuff on the list that I've already done just so I can cross it off. Um, that's how good it feels for me. So I wanted an electronic version of that 
to really help me keep my life in order. And I searched around a lot for calendars and apps. And I finally, a few years ago, found one called Wonderlist. It's W-U-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T. And it comes out of, I don't, I don't even know which foreign country, but um, it is awesome. And it syncs with my Mac my laptop, it syncs with my iPad, it syncs with my iPhone, so that if I add a task or check off a task on any one of those, they all automatically sync up. So wherever I am, whatever device I have with me, I have an accurate list. And so I, every Sunday, just go in and schedule any additional writing that I need to do. So things like the blog, and we still do the marketing minute newsletter tip only now goes out by email um, and the column all of those things I have baked into Wonderlist so that it reminds me every week that I have to do that Um, and again if I have something on a list and it says I have to do it I suppose because my business is so deadline driven it doesn't occur to me to miss a deadline so if it's on the list and I have to do it by Tuesday come hell or high water and sometimes it's both Uh, it gets done by Tuesday. And I would guess that your deadlines have probably, uh, they they force you to be creative in a condensed amount of time. So that that muscle for you is very well exercised. Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate that sort of if, if if I boil down my professional life, I think one of my core skills is writing. So, um, and that's just a God-given talent uh, that I have honed over the years. So the good news is uh, I don't have to write and rewrite, and I don't, I don't fret over content, uh, regardless of where it's going. Uh, I mean, I've written stuff for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and, you know, big, impressive publications, and I give them just as much time and attention as I do the blog. So I write it, I read through it once or twice to make sure that, you know, there aren't any stupid mistakes and that it makes sense. I spell check it, and I'm done. So I also don't sweat it. I just put it out there, and I write very much how I talk. So I, I, I'm, it's not more formal or different. So I don't have sort of that barrier in the way. And I, and I can crank out a blog post or a column in 30 to 60 minutes. So, and, and, and what I do, the question people ask me most is, how do you come up with so much stuff to say? Uh, and again, if you look around you, there's stuff all around. But remember, I'm talking to clients every day. So a lot of times it's a, a topic or a problem or a question that they raise that I go, oh, you know what? If they're wondering that, I bet other people are wondering that. That would make a great column, blog post, whatever. Uh, and so I just keep a running list of ideas in my wonder list. It's one of my categories in wonder list. So that I never have to sit there and scratch my chin for two hours coming up with something to write about. Very smart. Very smart. Um, again, going back to Ginsburg's interview, he called it input. He's always looking for input, and then he has throughput yeah. and output. So he's got a really interesting framework I should share with you on how he, how he writes. It's called, he calls it the prolific framework. I'd love to see that, yes, because he, I mean, he, he makes me look like an amateur. He, you know, it's like he publishes a book a week. I mean, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, all, and all his content is really good. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Very smartly written. He's just, yeah, he's a brilliant yeah. guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, so advice, we, you know, in every podcast towards the end, we, we have 
uh, our subjects give some advice to someone looking to maybe emulate your success, whether that be as a dad, as an entrepreneur, as a, uh, you know, as a, a writer, creative, whatever it may be, what advice do you have for someone that's looking to emulate your success? Um, you know, it seems to be a recurring theme in our conversation today, but I certainly would, would start with getting really clear about how you want your life to be and how you want it to look as you look back on it down the road and what, you know, I, I think the phrase sort of what really matters gets trivialized, but what is really going to make you feel like you have this fulfilled life and then be absolute about that it's going to happen and figure out a way to make it happen, even if how to make it happen sounds ridiculous or sounds like it's impossible, whether it's making more money or spending more time with your family or whatever it is, set, set aside all of your worries and the, and the make-believe barriers and just figure out how to get it done and then find tools that support that. So for me... It really was about spending time, my time, where I could really add a lot of value. So on the personal side, that was certainly being a father and being a great, active PTA president kind of dad. Um, and again, what I would say on that side is it really is about both quality and quantity. And and if you have multiple children, I was fortunate enough in my circumstance to just have the one so I could focus all my attention on her. But I have lots of friends like you who have more than one kid. And, and I think it's awesome to spend time with them as a, as a pack or a group. But I also think it's really important early on to establish the pattern of spending one-on-one -on -one time with each of them uh, away from everybody else so that they really feel like they have your undivided attention. And, you know, one of my goals with Kelsey was to make sure that no matter what happened in her life, she knew I was the safe harbor, that she could always come to me with whatever it was. Uh, and she certainly has done that many times over the years, good, bad, and ugly, and that we would figure it out and that I always had her back. Hmm. Um, and I think that comes from that one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and professionally, I think it's about, A, realizing that a lot of the things that are in your way are of your own creation. So uh, whether it's that you procrastinate, whether it's that you hoard work rather than having surrounding yourself with people who can do the things that you're not very good at. Um, I learned early on in the agency that for me to try and do everything myself meant that we were going to deliver a mediocre product. I'm not good at getting billing out on time and all that sort of administrative minutia, but I found someone who's awesome at it and who loves to do it and who helps me stay focused on the work that I'm good at. So I think especially for entrepreneurs who maybe don't have any employees, in today's world, there are lots of ways to surround yourself with people who do the parts of the work that either you shouldn't be doing because it's not productive or you're not very good at or you're mediocre at or you suck at it and you need to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, that's certainly a topic that you and I have talked about many times as, as we've evolved our businesses. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, top three books, Drew. What are the three books you'd most recommend? Um. 
probably the book I always uh, recommend first is Steve Farber's Radical Leap. Uh, it's a leadership book. It's an easy read. It's kind of a parable, but he just goes at leadership with such passion and heart. And it's all about his whole his catchphrase is doing work you love for people who love what you do. And you know, I have found over the course of my professional life that if I'm doing work that I'm really good at for people who actually really appreciate the work that we do, that is a profitable long-term relationship for both of us. So I really wholeheartedly endorse uh, his philosophy. Uh, there's a great book, a great marketing book uh, that's been around for a long time by a guy named Harry Beckwith. Uh, and out of Minneapolis, and the book is called Selling the Invisible. So especially for all of us who don't make a thing, we don't sell widgets, um, the whole book is little marketing ideas about how to sell the intangible. Um, which And Harry Beckwith is absolutely brilliant. Uh, and the third one, both of those books are older. They've been around for a little while. The third book that I really am enamored with um, is Anne Handley's new book, Everybody Writes. And that just came out this fall. Um, but it, it, Anne is also a prolific writer. She's the chief content officer for Marketing Profs. And um, her book is really talking about how to create content that actually matters rather than is just noise and how to be a better writer. So um, I greatly admire her work and her book is a fun read and a really valuable tip-packed read. Very cool. All of these books will be in the show notes too, by the way. So we'll, we'll make sure and capture all of those. Four rapid-fire questions here for you, Drew. These are off the top of your head, ballpark best guess estimates. Number of times you've been to Disney in your life? Oh, gosh. Every time I've walked through a gate, you mean? Yep. It's got to be over 500. <laughs> Number of Josh Groban concerts you've attended? Uh, we have to be in double digits, probably 10 or 12. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so ridiculous when I say it. <laughs> Number of blog posts or articles you've written in your life? Holy buckets. Uh, well, the blog by itself is over 2,000. And if I've written something every week since 1999, uh, and sometimes two, I, I got to be at 10,000, 15,000, something like that, probably. Amazing. Uh, and lastly, number of people in your network? Oh, people that I can just reach out to and be helpful to or ask for help? Mm hmm. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed. I, through my work and and my personal life and my community activity here in Des Moines, you know, there's thousands. I mean, I just, I'm so blessed by the people in my life. And what, what I find amazing, and I made a comment on someone's Facebook post the other day, is, um, it's amazing how generous people are when you ask for something specific. People want to be helpful. They're hungry to be helpful, but they don't know how to help. And so if you give, if you ask them for something specific to do, they will fall over themselves to help you. I, I find that true 999 times out of a thousand. Hmm. And the key is really letting them know how they can help and asking yeah. them. 
Yeah, and being grateful when they do. Yeah. And obviously trying to return the favor as often as you can. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in paying it forward. I think, I think the more helpful you can be to other people, that comes back to you multifold. Absolutely. So to, to sum all this up, Drew, you know, the, the topic of the podcast is how to build a bigger life, not necessarily a bigger lifestyle. Uh, you are definitely building a bigger life for yourself. How do you do it? What's, what's the advice you give someone who wants to do that? Um, I think it's being really clear about what you want. I think it's being willing to make sacrifices to get what you want and realizing that nobody has it all and that even if you got it all, you probably wouldn't be happy with it. Um, so being willing to not do the norm. So, you know, a lot of people go to work from nine to five. Uh, I never have done that. And I, I went from to work from nine thirty to two thirty, And then, you know, again, from eight to one in the morning or whatever, whatever that was, but I figured a different, I reinvented the norm to fit the life that I wanted to have. Hmm. And, and I think everybody can do that if they want to. Awesome. And we'll let that be the last word. The, um, Build a Bigger Life Blueprint is downloadable on the website, which has a lot of these kind of tidbits in it as well. Um, Drew, cannot thank you enough for years of friendship, guidance, mentorship, and just sharing the time today. You're, um, uh, you are a prolific guy, but you are wise beyond your years, and I, I appreciate you wholeheartedly. Well, I appreciate you too, and this was fun to do. Thanks very much, and I hope that it's valuable to, to your listeners. I'm sure it will be, Drew. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. If you liked what you heard on the podcast today, help spread the message of a bigger life by leaving a review and subscribing on iTunes. Our show today was sponsored by ShredMyMortgage.com, the fastest debt elimination tool on the planet. Hundreds of people, including podcast listener Brady B., blasted away all of his student loan debt his car loans, and is now working on paying off his house using only the software and the income he was already making. Check out ShredMyMortgage.com for a free analysis. Follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Carroll. Download a copy of the Build a Bigger Life blueprint at BuildABiggerLife.com and check out Adam's TEDx talk on YouTube. Until next week, may you build a bigger life.